Turn with me then, if you have your Bibles, to Genesis 47. I don't have it on the back of the sermon insert because, again, it would be too long to fit. But it is one chapter, Genesis 47. Genesis 47, starting in verse 1. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, My father and my brothers, with their flocks and herds and all that they possess, have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many are the days of the years of your life? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food, according to the number of their dependents. Now, there was no food in the land, in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, Give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, Give your livestock, and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock, if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh. And give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields, because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priests 
he did not buy, for the priests had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own, as seed for the field, and as food for yourselves and your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please my Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statute concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it, and were fruitful, and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt seventeen years. So the days of Jacob, the years of his life, were a hundred forty-seven years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me lie with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. He said, and he said, swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for your word, for your deeds of old, for your faithfulness and steadfast love. We pray that you would bless us this day and move us by the things that we have heard, that we might understand them and turn to you. We pray that you would increase in us true piety and godliness, uh, that we might uh, give thanks to you and so live as your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The chapter previous to this, chapter 46, described how Israel, remember the man Israel, uh, is just starting to blend into the people of Israel at this time, but the, the Israel and his uh, family moved from Canaan to Egypt. They were encouraged by the word of the Lord that had come to him when he was at Beersheba. They therefore act on it and and continue to go into Egypt and and arrive there. Joseph meets them. Joseph and his father are reunited. Uh, This chapter continues that and now describes how Israel and his family settles in Egypt and, and their life in Egypt. They settle in Egypt in the days of the famine. The Israelites received favor in the eyes of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh and the the Egyptians were blessed through the Israelites. God provided for his people Israel, and he also blessed those who blessed them, and he made them a blessing. Even though the Israelites were given a comfortable place to live in Egypt, yet Jacob ensured that they would remember that they remained sojourners, looking to the fulfillment of of God's promises. So we have a lot of Abrahamic themes, a lot of themes of God's promises that were given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he would bless them, that he would make them a blessing, that he would bless the nations through them, that he, he would give them a land and, and would uh, give them an inheritance that he would show them, that they were to follow him by faith. And that continues 
in, as they move and settle down now in Egypt. Uh, this, of course, is also something that was foretold by God when he had said that he, to Abraham uh, in chapter 15, that your people would go to a foreign land and dwell there for, for many years uh, before returning to in, inherit the land of the Canaanites, because uh, the sins of the Canaanites had not yet uh, culminated to a point of judgment. Uh, Israel needed a place to stay and to grow and to become a great nation, and God had provided a place for them in the land of Egypt. So God graciously provides for his church. Today, you and I, uh, the the church of Jesus Christ, continues to inherit these these same basic promises that God is favorable to his people through the heir of Abraham, through Jesus Christ. God graciously provides for his church. And so may his church uh, gratefully bless others and hold fast to God's promises, uh, even as we find Jacob and his family doing. Let's begin by looking at how Joseph settles his family in Egypt, and then how Joseph provides for the people, for the Egyptians, and then how Joseph swears to bury his father in the promised land. So first, Joseph settled his family in Egypt. Verses 1 through 12 describe how he brings first his brothers and then his father uh, to Pharaoh and what Pharaoh said. Because God had sent Joseph ahead of time, you know, through that providential manner, through slavery and the pit, even to the palace. So the people of Israel were able then to settle in Egypt, that Pharaoh was favorable to them. He, he was pleased with Joseph and his administration of his kingdom and uh, look, took mercy upon these uh, Israelites as they needed a place to live and to survive the famine. And so they would have a place to grow into a great nation. Joseph first presents five of his brothers, maybe not to overwhelm them, maybe so some of them can stay in the land of Goshen to oversee things. Don't know exactly why, but he brings five of them, representation of the brothers to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was favorable. They received permission to dwell in the land. They received permission to dwell in the best of the land. Apparently the land of Goshen was a good land, and received that, a place to live. And not only that, but Pharaoh even said, if you know any able men among them, I'd like to hire them to watch my livestock too. Uh, They describe themselves as as shepherds. They oversee livestock, something that the Egyptians weren't thrilled about, and and the Egyptians didn't, uh, the the shepherds and those sorts of people were an abomination to them. They, They would prefer them to be at a little bit at a distance. And uh, providentially, that, that is good for Israel. That's, first of all, they're taking a job that the Egyptians don't want, uh, prevents some friction there, but also because they re- intended to remain sojourners, they didn't intend to become Egyptians and to live there forever, that they would be able to retain their distinctiveness, that they would grow as a people, that they would be Israelites still, and especially to maintain the faith of their fathers eventually to return to Canaan. So they receive a place. They're even offered employment if they want to, uh, to do that as well. And the Israelites become sojourners in a foreign land by the permission of its ruler. They were good guests. They were respectful towards its ruler. And he was generous towards them for Joseph's sake. He gave them legal status. We might call it their green card. They were 
permanent residence, able to, to work there, to live there, and uh, to, to live there as shepherds. Now, their sojourn in Egypt was the background for the way they were supposed to, years later, treat sojourners in their land, as well as for how they were supposed to treat Egyptians in general. Let me refer to two verses. It's always nice when the Bible itself applies the text that you're expositing. Uh, There's uh, explicit application of chapter 47 in the law of Moses. In Deuteronomy 23, 7 through 8, the Israelites were told, you shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were a sojourner in his land. Children born to them in the third generation may enter the assembly of the Lord. And in context, this is contrasted to certain other groups that were not so uh, privileged, uh, that, for example, would have to wait many more generations before entering into the assembly of the Lord, probably referring to uh, more political privileges as, as belonging to, to the assembly. Um, there's a little debate on the exact meaning of that, but the, the clear thing is that they were especially to, to treat the Egyptian well, to not abhor him, uh, to, to give them even certain privileges, because they had been sojourners in Egypt, that they were to be grateful for what they had received as sojourners in their land. Despite being made slaves in Egypt, you know, you might have expected because the Egyptians oppressed you, therefore don't do, treat the Egyptians well, or, uh, but rather they were to remember the good that they had received. The Israelites were not to be ungrateful to the Egyptians. They had initially been welcomed in a time of great need, and there they had grown into a great nation. Therefore, they were to treat the Egyptians well. So, may you and I, therefore, be grateful to individuals, to peoples, who have shown you kindness and help. As one commentator says, It is ordinary with great men and others that one injury or offense blots out the remembrance of twenty courtesies. But God doth not deal so with us, nor will he have us to deal so with others, but commands us to overlook and forget injuries and to remember kindnesses. Be ready to, to overlook the injuries, the offenses, to be grateful for the good that you have received to be grateful, even as the Israelites were to be grateful to the Egyptians because of their sojourn for hundreds of years, uh, initially warm and helpful uh, in the land of Egypt. There's another application of this made in Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, 33 through 34. There it says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So because they were strangers at one point in a foreign land, in the land of Egypt in particular, they knew that experience. They were to therefore treat the sojourners among them, the foreigners living in Israel, well, to not take advantage of them. Uh, but to love them as themselves. That's the second time that's said in Leviticus 19. Um, You shall love your neighbor as yourselves. You shall not hate the sons of your own people. Initially, in context, you might think, oh, that's just talking about other Israelites. Uh, But then later on the chapter here, explicitly applies the same thing to the stranger uh, who's in your land as well. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. Now, this did not mean that Israel lost sovereignty over its borders. Just as in Egypt, sojourners lived in the land by permission of its rulers. They did go to Pharaoh. Rulers today should still exercise this authority over their borders with wisdom, considering both the good of their nation and kindness to the stranger. Nor were political privileges of citizens necessarily given to sojourners and their children. That's somewhat of a separate issue. Uh, They might remain resident foreigners for generations uh, in the ancient world and and in Israel, a difference with the American situation that would have to be taken into account. Nevertheless, Israel, we might say God's people in general, was supposed to be generous and hospitable to the sojourner who was there, who was often driven there by hard circumstances and was also vulnerable, was easy to be taken advantage of. In Israel, they didn't have permanent land ownership because it would always revert to, its, uh, to the Israelites and to those who originally owned it. Uh, they were uh, vulnerable and were to be treated well. Israel was not to take advantage of them or deny him his rights before the law, but to love him as themselves, to treat them as they would wish to be treated, and as, as they had been treated when they were in Egypt and were given a place to live and uh, were supported during that famine. So may we do likewise. Jesus was not inventing something new when he taught that love your neighbor applies to the stranger that's in front of you in the parable of the Good Samaritan. That this, who was the neighbor to the man lying by the side of the road? It was, the, it was that Samaritan uh, who had mercy upon him. Uh, well, jo- Joseph doesn't only bring his brothers, he also brings in his father before Pharaoh. Uh, after they have permission to live, uh, Jacob comes in, and Jacob blesses Pharaoh. In fact, it says that twice, as he came in and as he left. Jacob had been blessed that he might be a blessing to the nations. As Pharaoh had blessed the offspring of Abraham, he would indeed be blessed, and we'll find that later on in this chapter. Jacob then gives his age, 130 years. He describes his life as a sojourn. Those were the days of the years of my sojourning. Whether he was Beyond the river, whether he was in Canaan, whether he was in Egypt, all of it was his sojourn, 130 years. He was looking to the home that God would provide him. Uh, His homeland was not the land of his fathers, was not even the land of his sojourning when he was in Canaan. Uh, It was not the land of Egypt, but rather he was looking to what God would provide him, even a heavenly country, the days of his Life of his sojourning was 130 years. And he describes them as few and evil. Would you describe 130 years as few? Not, not today. But of course, he compares it rightly to his father's. Well, I haven't lived as long as my father or my grandfather or his father, for that matter. Terah lived to 105 years, Abraham to 175 years, and Isaac to 180 years. Uh, you, should, you should have seen my father <laughs> if you think I'm old. And he describes their days as the days of their sojourning too. They all acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They were all looking, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, perhaps Terah as well. We don't know as much about him, but they were looking to the promise and to the everlasting inheritance from God, persevering through trials. 
So as Hebrews 11.13 says of the patriarchs, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So may you and I, like Jacob, bring the blessing of Christ to the nations. Uh, Christ, in some ways, is like the greater, Joseph, uh, greater Jacob, uh, who, whose blessing is effectual. Uh, the one who receives him by faith will be blessed. We sang that earlier in the hymn, right? Blessed is, is the person, the people, the city uh, who confesses Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. May we do this through evangelization, through prayer, through our work and calling uh, to bring Christ to the people's May we also, like Jacob, walk by faith, look to the future glories of the kingdom to come, wait with expectation for the new heaven and new earth the, in which righteousness dwells. As Paul said, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The days of our lives, compared to what we expect, are few and evil, filled with trouble, but are not worth comparing uh, to what we expect. Or as he said in 2 Corinthians, for this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You think 130 years is old? Compare that to eternity. It is quite few indeed. So Joseph presents his brothers and father before Pharaoh. They receive favor in his eyes. They also bless Pharaoh and become settled in Goshen. Verses 13 through 26, then zoom out again to what's going on in the famine to all the people. Joseph saved the lives of the people. Joseph was a savior so that they might live and not die. Not only did Joseph save his family, but he also blessed the nations by saving them from starvation. Joseph provided for them. He saved the grain ahead of time. He did not withhold it from sale to the people. When they ran out of money, he accepted their livestock. Uh, It might have been something like a mortgage where they might have kept possession of it, but it belonged to him. We don't know if he herded all the livestock of Egypt into certain areas, the details, but they did then by right belong to Pharaoh. That's uh, Joseph acquired the livestock too for Pharaoh and gave the people grains, and that lasted for a year. But then they ran out of livestock. They ran out of money first. They ran out of livestock. And then they, accepted, they offered to sell themselves and their land in return both for food as well as for the seed uh, to grow in the next year. They needed uh, help. Uh, they saw that Joseph was trustworthy, that he had saved them thus far. And so they... Uh, seek his protection and provision and offer themselves to be Pharaoh's servants. And so Joseph accepts their offer. He purchases their labor and their land, and he gives them a generous arrangement. Though the land became Pharaoh's, they could keep four-fifths of the produce from that land, not a small share. Uh, They had to give one-fifth of their produce to Pharaoh, which is what he had taxed in the first place in those seven years of plenty to store up that grain. Uh, He uh, employed them as as tenant farmers, as it will, on the lands of Pharaoh. Joseph therefore saved the people from death, but he also faithfully served his superior, Pharaoh. He did not become a corrupt official. 
He did not take himself a slice of the pie behind the scenes. It says he brought all the money into the house of Pharaoh. Uh, He was one who was faithful and could be trusted, even though he was dealing, obviously, with vast amounts of wealth. He saved Pharaoh's kingdom and his people. He increased Pharaoh's wealth and his power. He bought up all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. He had prospered Potiphar's house as a servant and overseer, and now he prospered Pharaoh's household as well. Now, the whole situation is, probably seems odd to you. Uh, I don't know. If you read this, it's not what we experience as Americans. What? Wait, he bought up all the land. They became his servants. Uh, is this something I should be happy about? Or you know, we might view it a little oddly because this is not something that we come across, at least in the same terms. Um, but compare it to the laws that would later govern Israel. Uh, Leviticus 25 mentions situations where a man might become poor and sell property and or himself. A similar situation as here in Egypt. Of course, we do deal today with people running out of money and taking out loans and uh, certain things that would get people entangled so they can survive hardships. But the law in Leviticus commanded that the person who sells his property and himself should be treated well, like a hired servant, as Joseph treated the Egyptians. It provided for the possibility of redemption, although that would have been harder for the Egyptians because everyone did it. There wasn't someone outside who could, could buy them back, but, um, but that could be a possibility. Uh, something unique to Israel and to the Israelites was that their land would be released from this bondage in the year of Jubilee. Uh, that both the land and, and anyone still held in bondage would be able to return to that land. It didn't apply to the non-Israelite slaves, probably in part because they didn't have land to return to, uh, but the Israelites would be freed on the 50th year, the year of Jubilee, and their land revert to its original owners. But the Egyptians probably remained in this arrangement. It says that this statute remained to this day, probably Moses' day when he wrote this. That they would work Pharaoh's lands as his servants. They would be under his care, uh, that he would care for them in times of of famine. They would be like tenant farmers or peasants, keeping four-fifths of the produce as their own. Uh, They did not complain. They did not expect a year of jubilee. This arrangement was their idea, and they were glad to be saved. They saw Joseph as a savior, and they trusted him. Now, there were two groups of people who were provisioned during the famine and so were kept from the need to sell the land and to become subject to this tax. Uh, did you catch the two groups of people? There were the Israelites, which of course was a small group at the time, relatively speaking. Um, there were the Israelites. And then there were the priests, the, the pagan priests, the, the priests of Egypt. Israel gained property for their long-term sojourn. At the same time, the Egyptians were losing theirs. Joseph provided food for his family. I mean, they were his family. He, he directly gave them food, so they didn't have to sell the land they just received and enter slavery. Instead, how did they enter slavery? They entered slavery late, later. They would be subjected to harsh slavery against their will by an ungrateful tyrant. The other group was the pagan priests who were secured from slavery by their fixed allowance from Pharaoh that enabled them to keep their lands and so have freedom later on from this tax. Since they had lands, this fixed allowance might have been something temporary to get them through the famine, since they would have had their own income from their lands. Even Gentile rulers like Pharaoh knew that religion was important, and 
supported their priests and kept them from taxation? How much more should the true church and its ministry be supported and maintained? Certainly the main and regular source of income for the church ought to be from the tithes and offerings from its people. Uh, But it's good and right, for example, that the church church today is not taxed by the state. Uh, The civil magistrate should do its part as a foster father to look out for the interests of the church and its ministry. Uh, And that is uh, one good and right way that it does so even to this day. Now, Joseph, therefore, was was doing good to the people of Egypt. Uh, There's a contrast between how Joseph blessed Egypt and the land and Pharaoh, and how later Egypt and the Pharaoh and the land would oppress the Israelites. Later, Egypt would be cursed because they mistreated Israel and would suffer the plagues. Later, a Pharaoh proved ungrateful to Joseph, knew not Joseph, and would oppress the very people who had given him his power and wealth and kingdom. But for Joseph's part, he was an example of a diligent worker. He was a faithful officer. He was a wise ruler. His particular course of action might not be something we, uh, you know, exactly follow. It was adapted for his situation. But you would do well to heed his work ethic. He was no idle official. He was busy. Uh, He was honest was good to his superior, one that could be trusted, would not give in to the temptations of wealth, was prudent to look to the future and to provide for it, and his care for those who were under him, giving them generous terms. So he is an example to be followed. He was also an instrument of God's generosity. God looked out for the people. Even though they followed pagan religions, they were evil and ungrateful to him, yet God kept the Egyptians from dying and provided for them through Joseph. And Joseph was a type of a future ruler who would indeed save the nations spiritually, uh, who would save them from eternal death, Jesus Christ. He would truly save the peoples from death, giving them the bread of life that they might live and not die. Interesting that phrase, live and not die, that we might not die, comes up a lot in these final chapters in Egypt. It's a theme that first appeared in chapter 3, or chapter 2 even. It's eating the fruit, you would die and not live. Well, here comes one who brings life and salvation to the nations, that they might live and not die. Of course, speaking in mundane, everyday terms, that they might not perish, but pointing to one who would indeed save them from the curse that had fallen upon even the whole world. Jesus does not sell the bread of life for money. Uh, But we do give ourselves to him willingly, cheerfully, to his service when we receive him, that without fear we might serve the Lord in holiness and righteousness all our days. His is an easy and light yoke that we take upon ourselves cheerfully, for he has saved us from death. So trust him, call upon the Lord, and follow him as your Lord and Savior. The last thing we find in this text is that Joseph swore to bury his father in Canaan. The Israelites lived in Egypt. They increased in possessions and multiplied. Jacob lived uh, 15, sorry, 17 years in Egypt before he died. As one commentator notes, Joseph spent the first 17 years of his life in his father's care. Jacob spends the last 17 years of his life 
in Joseph's care. Remember, Joseph was 17 when all that came upon him and he was sold into slavery. Now, Joseph gets 17 more years with his father, where he's caring for his father before his father passes away in Egypt. And so he lives to the age of 147. But despite having now peace and prosperity, being provisioned, coming out of famine, having good land to live in, his son as the vizier of Egypt, yet Jacob did not forget his God and his God's promises. How easy is it to become forgetful and to become insensible amid peace and prosperity as we come out of trial to forget the Lord than who delivered us. Jacob did not make that error. As he approached death, he made Joseph swear that he would not bury him in Egypt, but in the promised land with his fathers. Much as Abraham had made his servants swear to find a wife for Isaac from the land beyond the river so that he wouldn't marry a local Canaanite and so that he wouldn't go back to live beyond the river, right? He wanted his, his son Isaac, to look to the promise of God, uh, to the land he would provide, to not become absorbed into the nation. So Jacob wants his son Joseph uh, to, to bury him in the promised land, to look to the promises of God, to know that the people would eventually return to that land. So Joseph looked by faith to what God would do. God would care for him individually, that even in death he rested in the Lord, and that he would care for his people and bring them back. So having heard Joseph's oath that he swore to do this, uh, Jacob bowed himself upon his bed. He worshipped the Lord. And this really introduces the rest of the book. Uh, Chapter 48, 49, 50 is going to be now filled with the blessings and prophecies of Jacob and his death and his burial. We're going to now come to the end and conclusion of this book, looking forward, what are things to come, as Jacob passes off the scene and hands these on to his children, to his children's children, that they might hold the course as they go forward, and even, of course, relevant for us as we look to what God would do. But like Jacob, do not let trials or prosperity to make you forget the Lord and his promises. Do not forget your blessed hope the eternal inheritance that awaits you, the land that God will give you, even the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness dwells with Christ. Trust in the Lord and look with hope to what God will do for his people and for you and pass that on to the next generation that they might not forget in the days of their sojourning at the hope to which we aim. God graciously provides for his church He still does so today. He blesses them and makes them a blessing in Christ. So may his church gratefully bless others and hold fast to the promises of God, looking to the hope that is to come. Join with me in prayer. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for your kindness and mercy, that you are faithful from generation to generation. We ask that you would Uh, Therefore, stir our hearts to take hold of you, to pass on this faith and hope from generation to generation. We ask that you would make us a blessing to those who are around us, to do good to our neighbors, uh, to help them, 
and that especially we might bring Christ to them and to our own homes, uh, that we might receive his blessing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.